All right. So it is February 22nd, 2017, and our message today is called An Anchor for the Soul. But he got it right. In keeping with some of the things that we've been talking about, turn to Exodus 14. Don't read it yet. Just turn there. In the last few weeks, we've heard messages about activating your faith in the devil in the deep blue sea. We've heard messages about stepping it up, about holding firm. Thank you, buddy, for that one. And wasted libations. What cup are we pouring into? Begin to build a theme. The Holy Ghost is calling things out of us. What we're going to talk about tonight is how do we do it? We've heard lots of sermons. What we want tonight is from the plain language of the text, exactly what the gospel says, we're going to obey it. We're going to let it live free reign in our lives. We're going to let it out. We've heard so many sermons on these subjects, but today we want to see it happen. We want to see it fill our lives, consume us. So as we read Exodus 14, fight the temptation to think that you already know what's in it. I have happened to come to the belief that that was not just a sermon example for a single message, but it was a prophecy from the Holy Ghost for our body. We're going to continue to mine everything out of it that we can. So we're, you're in Exodus 14, right? Yes. Well, I'm not. Give me just a minute. <laughs> so we have Moses leading the Israelites out, and they come to an impasse. We're going to pick up in verse 13, and we're going to stop in verse 14. Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Who can say that the promises of God are true? Somebody in the room, the promises of God are true. So when the Lord says, Don't be afraid, you will see the deliverance. That's a truthful statement, isn't it? We hold that as fact. We learned just the other night. When we hear the word, stand firm and be still, it has to do with the quietness of soul, right? Do you remember that, church? Yes. I want to tell you today that when God spoke of the promises that were to come and he said, be still, a quietness of spirit, he was telling them to anchor themselves to that promise to anchor their lives to what God had spoken. And you know, immediately after this, they rushed into the fight. We're going to talk tonight about anchoring your soul to the promises that God has given you. I know God has given Daniel promises in this room. I know He's given the Treasters promises in the room and the Carters promises in this room. This whole world is constantly trying to make us drift off course. What we're going to talk about tonight is how we are going to anchor our lives to that and fight for those promises. You know, it's such a blessing to have brothers. Nick Aragina did a little research for me on biblical anchors. And there are a few requirements for a biblical anchor. It has to have at least two hooks so that it can dig into the rock. The biblical definition of an anchor is something that has two witnesses on it. We think of enormous ships held by something so small. Our elder Steve is not in the room right now, but he was a mariner his entire life. He inspects barges for a living. Enormous bodies and vessels, enormous callings held by such a small instrument. 
We're going to talk today about the anchors that Christ is trying to set up in your life. When an anchor is set firm, it holds a barge in place. It gives it what it needs to fight the waves. No storm could unwrench it when that anchor was set right. Say with me tonight, we're going to set our anchors down. Set our anchors down. But not to be still, to fight. Amen. Because in Exodus 14, they set the example that anchor your soul on these promises, and then they did something with it. Who wants to do something with their promises today? I do. This reminds me of something that I read in 1 Corinthians 15. We're not going to turn there. Paul said, His grace was not without effect to me. Speaking of his former way of life and what God had revealed to that man. No, I work harder than all the other apostles. Something of the Holy Ghost has been ingraining that God-given grace in a way that is immovable, that men set their anchors on it and fight. The apostle to the Gentiles that helped bring what we carry around as sacred to the whole world. And from there it spread and made it as far as us. We have Moses. We have Paul. We have so many men setting their anchors down on something. We'll talk today about each of those applications. I'm going to tell you that the grace of God is not something just to be out in the distance or conceptualized is to be rooted and anchored in our souls so that we know how to fight. Amen. Let's keep going. Amen. So we're going to turn from Exodus to Joshua 14. I am, have a particular affection for Joshua, specifically the story about Caleb. Get an amen from the Browns household. I want to brag on Caleb and Susanna for a minute. They've been in the church a month now. Is that right? About a month. There has not been a single evening that I've, I've missed that Caleb and Susanna were not in the fellowship, studying the Word, giving accurate scriptures, and in the flow of the Spirit, being discipled on a regular basis. And you know what? Their lives will be blessed by it. It's almost as if they got here with the intention of anchoring some things in their souls. And they're fighting for the calling that God has given them. I know the men in this room. I know your lives and your households. Each of you are destined for good works, good service. But something has to be done for us to reach that. You in Joshua 14? Yeah. We're going to pick up in the sixth verse. Now the men of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh the Kizite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land, and I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my brothers, who went up with me, made the hearts of the people melt with fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly, it goes on and it says that Moses swore to him that he would receive that promised land. Something about what God had promised him and spoken through Moses got so down into his soul that he waited 40 years. How quickly do we get discouraged? God has given some of us visions in this room of ministry to take place in the future. It was about 12 years before LCM had a sizable crowd that could be even considered a handful. It was 40 years before he began to take the promise that God had for him. Something about what was spoken to him got rooted in his soul. Say it with me tonight. 
The promises of God have got to be anchored. Let's be honest with ourselves for a minute. Do we get discouraged after a year or two of not seeing something we felt like God promised us? You can answer me. Yeah. Month or two? Week or two? Even a bad day? The promises of God are meant to last a lifetime. Whether it be 40 years, when it is ingrained in your soul rightly, it cannot be moved. It cannot be taken from you. The man who has the promises of God inside of his soul in a way that is anchored to Christ... He's ready to fight. We're going to keep reading in this passage. We'll see what Caleb does with it. But something in that man's spirit was special. I want to serve the Lord God wholeheartedly. I want his promises to be anchored in my soul. In Joshua 14, we're going to move down to the 11th verse. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me that hill country that the Lord promised me today. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there, and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he has said. And there's something about that heart that is courageous. Is anybody in the room admire that kind of heart? Yes. What do we have to do to get a hold of it? The man went 40 years in a desert... And he was still just as vigorous. You know that his body had to have been tired. You know that that had to have taken a toll on him. And yet something about the immovable spirit of God in his life that he had anchored himself to meant he was still ready to fight for it. Who in the room wants to be ready to fight for what God is giving you? Amen. When the scripture says something, it has to become immovable. It has to be an anchor. Do we all agree with that? So we'll move on and go to some other passages. But when the Spirit, Ephesians tells us that we must pray in the Spirit on all occasions. So when we think about things that are immovable, anchors for our soul, that means that there is no application where we do not pray in the Spirit. Not street ministry, not time at work. There is no place. Not when it makes your Baptist friends uncomfortable. We go after it because it is the anchor for our life. When God says in Acts 2, 42, that they met together every day, learning the apostles' teachings, breaking bread and prayer. And God has told you to be discipled here. That has got to become an immovable standard. If we're missing two, three nights at a week and yet professing with our mouths that I'm here to be discipled, we have to take sober recognition. What I want to do tonight is reiterate some of the things that have already been spoken. If I'm being honest, I don't think I have anything new. But the plain language of the test of the text and the veracity which it holds in our lives has got to be addressed. When we take this in to the point where it becomes an anchor in our life, our lives will look like the apostles. Amen. We will see the Spirit break out on occasions when we are praying in the Spirit on all occasions. When we let it become an anchor for our soul and we are ready to fight, it is an amazing thing. I mentioned that ship that is being held by an anchor. It is so important that we place the anchor where Christ is in and that it digs in in the bedrock of Christ. There's a reason that there are those two witnesses. It's because it is meant to gouge something into the earth and be immovable. When we find ourselves drifting from what God originally spoke, it seems like the promise that He gave me about ministry in the future is just a distant past and my life is slowly drifting away. 
It's because we have to reset that anchor again and again and again. What has God spoken to you that is in the distant past at this point? So easily we hear God as charismatics and we take it lightly. If the voice of God is truly spoken, we ought to hold on to it for 40 years. We ought to hold on to it for 80 years. We ought to hold on to it for a lifetime and be ready to fight with it. What I want to do tonight is take the things that God has already spoken to this body and let it be ingrained inside of your soul. Say, His promises to me have got to be anchored. And I will fight for it. One negative thing about being in a church that is so word-filled is our own hearts have a tendency to want to hear it, absorb the knowledge, but it never be deeply rooted. See, I told you I was a son of this ministry. I know firsthand that I can hear teaching and acknowledge that it's fantastic, but it doesn't reside in my soul the way that it needs to. The consistent testimony from men that I admire that have left our body is that they wish they had taken the discipleship more seriously, that it had been ingrained in their soul to the point where it came out when they were there. They had to relearn things, re-ingrain it. Brother Buddy and I have taken notice of that. What I want tonight is for us to recognize what God has truly given us and let it be an anchor for our soul. Be ready to fight for it no matter what it takes you. And when we behave like that, the kingdom breaks out. Let's keep going from Joshua. We're going to go, we just went from the law, went to the prophets. Let's go to First Chronicles, the 12th chapter. An anchor for our soul. It's got to be immovable. We have to be willing to fight. You know, when Caleb went into that promised land, did it sound like he intended on losing that fight? See, I kind of think that he knew he was going to win. When we find ourselves treating sin as if it's something we might lose, we've lost that fight already. But when we come in ready to win, with no intention of stopping before we have shed our blood, there is nothing that will be denied us. Holiness inside of Christ is everything. And the power of His Holy Ghost will help you. But you have to hold on to it. It has to be an anchor in your life. We have to get it so deep down in our souls that it is strong enough to hold that ship that was prophesied about enduring worship. When it is actually down in our soul, you become confident to fight. You become confident to be who God made you to be, operating under the Holy Ghost, removing the flesh. See, this whole world is trying to get us to conform instead of be transformed. But there is one fixed and immovable thing in all of our lives, and that is the character of Christ. And the extent to which we anchor ourselves to that will define how effective we are in our faith. We've heard messages about being active. We've heard messages about stepping it up. I love what Paul said about grace in his life. We know Titus tells us, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness. It produced hard work in Paul's life. What I want is for us to be effective in our fight and be ready to fight. We can't just accept things as truthful but let them just be that. You have to fight for what God has given you. Frank, you've got to continue to fight for your home. You've got to continue to fight for the shalom that God is giving you. Men in this room, you have to fight for holiness. You have to fight for the direction that God is setting your life in. 
But the only way that we can do that and win is if we are centered on Christ. That anchor is embedded and firm. I see men in this room that are filled with the Holy Ghost and powerful. Frank is going to go around the world with his family. But all of us have a responsibility to get those small things, small things, quotations, right in our lives first. Because when we do, we become who God made us to be, spirit-filled and powerful. You know, we used to sing a song in here. We do it on occasion, speaking about the freedom of Christ that reigns and spirit-filled and powerful. Some of you who are, I know my uncle will remember that. Somehow, we often can sing about being something, filled with His joy, filled with His power, breaking down the strongholds, but it has to actually come alive in us. It has to actually be anchored in us before it takes effect on the earth. So you're in First Chronicles with me, right? 12th chapter, the 8th verse. Some Gadites defected to David at his stronghold in the desert. They were brave warriors, ready for battle, able to handle the shield and the spear. I tell you that you will need the word and the spirit of God in your life if you're going to contend with the enemy. Their faces were the faces of lions, and they were as swift as gazelles in the mountains. I tell you that men of God who know who they are called to be, know their authority in Christ and have set an anchor on it that they will not yield, you're like lions amongst men. First Peter tells us that the devil is like a roaring lion, not that he is. When Daniel was thrown into that hole, you know, they found out there was more than one lion in there. Daniel himself was not touched by them because God had put something inside of him that was different. And the converse is true too. When a man chooses not to take hold of what God has given him, he chooses not to fight for it, he doesn't anchor his soul, we become food for lions. Sometime in your own personal reading, read 2 Kings 17 you'll find out about men who did not anchor their souls to Christ and fight for what was right. They became food for lions. And God sent a priest to help them. He used that king of Assyria. What I want tonight is for us to not be picked off by lions, but become lions. The scripture says that we serve the lion of Judah. He laid down his life as a lamb for us. What lions will do is pick off those who are straggling those who are overwhelmed by sin. What we have to do in response to that is anchor yourself to the sinner. I've had the fortunate opportunity of spending some time with Elder Baj. Elder Baj has been studying inside of Isaiah and how the Israelites ran to Egypt instead of staying under the covering that God had called them to. Let me set you at liberty. If God hasn't spoken and said you're called to be here, none of us are trying to hold you. We're not trying to build the compact center here. We never have been, not since 2001. But if God has spoken that you are called to be here, it's time to set an anchor. It's time to set an anchor and fight to be all the way in. We can't stay halfway in and thinking that we're going to get what we need. We can't constantly be con contemplating leaving and thinking we're going to get what we need. We need to anchor our lives to it, commit to it, and fight for what God is giving us. 
I tell you, those Israelites find, found deliverance when they turned to the Lord, not when they turned to Egypt. When we are constantly searching for some other path because we don't like the bedrock of Christ that He has given us, we will never be effective in our faith. But when we set our anchors on what He has spoken to us in this room, man, nothing can sway you. No storm will turn you over. The charter that God has set your life on is unstoppable. It becomes more like a freight train. It's time to set our anchors on what God has spoken in this room. We'll keep moving. But I want you to hold on to the idea that when you are anchored in Christ, you're no ordinary man anymore. No ordinary man. We cannot let go of that. We are called to something more than ordinary men. We may be unschooled, but we're not ordinary anymore. We just went through the law, the prophets, now the writings. We're learning to be anchored in Christ, just like Caleb was, just like Moses was, and those men whose faces were like lions. Turn with me to Matthew 10. We're going to start in Matthew 10, around the seventh verse. As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not take along any gold or silver or copper in your belts. Take no bag for the journey or extra tunic or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worth his keep. We have a direct imperative here. The plain language of the text says, as you go, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely you have received, freely give. When we truly begin to anchor ourselves in what the Word of God says, we expect it to happen. If we no longer believe that we're ordinary men, if we have anchored ourselves on that, we begin to see the miraculous. I didn't pick this scripture just because... There were miraculous testimonies in it. The Word of God is filled with amazing things. Anybody who's ever said that it is boring has not spent enough time reading it. A major contributor to the reason I've been thinking about this scripture is because we're going to go do it. I'm not preaching to you about things that are not happening in my life. We are about to go do this on Saturday. We're going to go to an Islamic-dominated nation that is a handful of miles away from Aleppo, Syria, that is being bombed right now by Russia and do exactly what this says. We're going to heal the sick, take no copper, no coins. We're going to put ourselves at the mercy of the king because something is an anchor in our lives, is that I actually believe what it says. Brother Buddy, the area that he's working in, we did this. We showed up with nothing other than a word about a town's name. And you know what? The kingdom broke out. We began to fight for the gospel because we had anchored ourselves and believed the word of God. When we actually believe, it shows up as an anchor. The world sings about believing or having faith, and it does not mean the same thing as to believe inside of your soul like it's an anchor that holds you to the bedrock of Christ. But when you do and you contend for the kingdom, you get into the fight, you start to see the miraculous. We plant works in Peru. 
We plant works in Africa. We plant works in the name of Jesus in Turkey very soon. The reason that we see the kingdom advancing is because we actually have taken it into our soul as an anchor that cannot be moved. And we contend for the faith. But ask, hear me, respond. Do you think that that's just the job of the pastoral staff? No. no? They've done a fine job of it. Tell you the truth. I've watched their lives since I was little and they are amazing. I've been around a lot of pastors and I'm not here to speak ill of them. I'm only going to speak positively about what I've seen in our body. But we have an obligation to emulate that. Our promises will not come about by another man anchoring his soul and fighting for it. We heard it said in a sermon not long ago, if you won't fight for your family, who will? If you won't fight for your call and direction, who will? If you won't fight for righteousness in your own life, who will? If you won't fight for the kingdom of God to be advanced in your own children's lives, Brother Jorge back there has got an amazing little son, but he's going to have to anchor his soul and show him how to fight for the kingdom. Brother John, he's invested my life since I was a little boy. Brother John is destined to the ministry overseas. His life will be spent in the work of the king. But a little bit like Caleb, when we are having to deal with the day-to-day -day desert, it's very easy for us to get caught up in what's going on and let our anchor drift. But I'm watching that man with resolve point his face towards God as calling him. Want to let it be a reminder today. Go address what the Lord has originally spoken to you. What he originally actually said. And set your anchor there. Not where you feel like it might be leading you. Not where it has drifted over the last few weeks. What God actually told you. And do that before you keep on crying out. God did not answer Moses' cry. He told him to move on. Why are you crying out? It would save the pastoral staff a lot of counseling time if you did that. I promise. If we remind ourselves of what God has actually spoken and we do that, before we get distracted with everything else in the world, our fight will be effective. So if God has told you to move closer, it's time to move. If he's told you to be there, like they said in Acts 2.42, it's time to do it. Because when we anchor ourselves in what God has actually said and we are fighting for the kingdom, it's effective. And if we do it any other way, you're trapped between Pharaoh in the deep blue Red Sea and nobody is going to save you. God waited for them to do what he said. He didn't come pluck them out of that situation. He requires that we listen to him and he will deliver you through trouble. Amen. Not that we disobey him and then shout out our hands, please, Lord, save me. You're saved through your obedience to him. We know that faith in Christ is what saves a man. But if you're unwilling to act on that faith, it, it is practically useless. These are things that we know as a church. I have shouted and cheered and said amen so many times on those subjects. But until we actually anchor it in our own personal lives and fight for it, it will be of no effect in us. It will be effectless. I'm watching Brother Daniel struggle. He has heard from God that he is going to stay in a job. So he's planting his anchor. And he is fighting for what God is showing him. And you know, I'm watching the Lord provide for him again and again and again. What in your life are you looking for a way out when God is saying, drop anchor? He's saying, take up your fight. We're not talking about being immobile. We're talking about being bound to the bedrock of Christ. 
What in your life are you trying to wiggle out of? And God is saying, drop anchor on what I said, not what you think, not what you feel or would prefer, but on what I am telling you. The power of Christ is revealed in ordinary men like us when we begin to believe his word and set anchor on it. Those apostles, they fought for what the king of kings was giving them. We're going to read just a little bit more out of Matthew. But then we're going to turn to the Acts of the Saints. Turn to nine, or look at 9 and 10. Do not take along any gold or silver or copper in your belts. Take no bag for the journey or extra tunic or sandals on your sandals or a staff, for the worker is worth his keep. Hold that in your mind for a moment. Let's turn to Acts, the third chapter. We're going to pick up in the first verse. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. So in their daily life, they were heading towards the temple, something that they did on a regular basis. Think of your own daily life for a moment. Now, a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. Any of you guys seen somebody begging in the same place every day? I think we all have. Tell you, this man was not begging because he was selfish or entitled. He was actually crippled. And he was sitting before the temple gates where they preached about giving alms to the poor. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. But what did Peter do? Before you jump to what you know the scripture already says, when somebody asks you for money, what do you do? What immediately comes into your mind? You look away, maybe you throw some change in the plate. What if God is asking you to have a piercing gaze? What if God is asking you to anchor your deeds upon what his word has spoken? We've already been told to heal the sick as we go, to raise the dead, to cleanse lepers. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have. What I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. (laughs) They took no silver or gold. They anchored their lives upon the word. And you know what? The power of God showed up when they fought for it. It didn't stay just to some scripture on the screen. It showed up in their life. And the same thing can happen in this room. We don't have to just read about the word and think of it as a long time ago, this is how it used to work. In your own daily life, on your way to the temple, on your way to work, you can see people filled with the Holy Ghost. You can see people set free from sin. We are by no means obligated to live an ordinary life for lions amongst men at this point. When we take our stand when we have anchored ourselves in what God actually says and we're fighting for it. Every time I get the opportunity, I come hang out in the shop. And you know what? There is never a day that goes by where there is not witnessing. There's often healings. And I love those men desperately. There is nothing different about them than anyone else in this room. Nothing. Not in and of themselves. 
It's because they have dropped anchor on what the Word says and they expect to see this every day. So you know what? They do. They do. That's why many of you go by and hang out there. It's time for us to take resolve of what God has spoken to our lives, what His Word says, drop anchor on it, and fight for it. Because we need to see the miraculous. We need to see the promises of God fulfilled. And we cannot be discouraged so quickly and fall into the traps of sin. Our church is set on a charter. And we need to drop anchor on what God has spoken so that we actually reach where we are supposed to go. And we don't go astray. Could you put Acts 4.13 on the screen for me? Those of you who know me well know that this has been a favorite passage of mine. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. I tell you, well, we make a serious mistake when we think that I do not have what I need. The key to this is believing what God said, dropping anchor on it, and fighting. Because these men were unschooled, ordinary. We know from the Gospels that they were fishermen. And yet, the religious world of their time was astonished. Don't tell me you're outmanned. Don't tell me you're outgunned. What God has given you is sufficient. Say it with me, church. What God has given me is sufficient. What God has given me is sufficient. But I must drop anchor on it. We have to. And then we have to begin to fight for it. No man in this room has been given less than what he needs to succeed. No woman, no family. You are all equally endowed with Christ. You just need to believe and act on it. Anchor and fight. Anchor and fight. We can't drift from it. But when we do what the Word of God says, I promise you it will astonish the nations. We've seen it again and again, and it's time for us to see a new round of it in our body. We're going to continue to send out our best over and over and over again. And the church of God depends upon men stepping up, about holding firm, about activating their faith. But the way you do that is you set your anchors on what God has spoken and you fight for it. There is no place for apathy in the kingdom of God. There is no place for cowardice in the kingdom of God. Either get in the fight or get out. Lukewarm gets spit out. That's just the truth. There may be some who wish to comfort you in that. Say, well, you have a little bit of Christ and it's a good thing. Until you get in or get out because the Holy Ghost is not pleased with lukewarmness. Not even inside of our own body. More than once, out of my own family, we've sat, spoken with, had to draw those clear lines. Deuteronomy 13 sets a clear expectation. Those who have not anchored their, work, their lives to what God originally spoken and accept a false doctrine... There is no hope for that. But when we anchor ourselves, not even a false doctrine will have sway over your life. No attack of the enemy will. It's time to get into the fight. Let's go from Acts 4.13 to the book of Hebrews. Who loves the book of Hebrews? I do. I love reading about how we have the tabernacle after going through some of our Monday night Bible studies. The things that it was meant to do. It anchored their lives. It was in the center of the camp. And something about that presence of God going with them enabled them to fight and win. Hebrews 6, we're going to pick up 
in the 18th verse. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure, and enters behind the inner sanctuary, behind the curtain. When Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf, he's become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Man. When we hear about those two unchangeable things, it reminds me of that anchor for the soul. Two things. God promised and he does not lie. Two things that promise that we have the ability to enter in there. That he has made atonement. So the question is, are we going to take advantage of that? Are we going to go behind the curtain, take some of the presence and anchor our lives to it? Or have we grown apathetic in areas to it? See, when he paid that cost, that garden of Gethsemane, Jesus Christ himself set his anchor again and again and again. He said, Father, is there another way? And the Lord said, no. Father, is there another way? No. As many times as it took in the fight, he set his anchor and he began to go fight and do what was required. You fight, do it once, and then want to reward yourself by stopping? <laughs> Come on, let's be truthful here. Do we do what is right for a little while and then feel like we are entitled to coast for a bit? If Jesus Christ himself had to sit and set his anchor again and again so that he could fight and obey God's will, how much more so us? I tell you, we owe him a debt for what he did, and I intend to pay it. In the law, if you stole something, if you were indebted to a man... It was not enough just to pay it back. You had to add something to it. When we hear about the talents, it was not enough just to give back what was given to you. We had an obligation to anchor and fight to bring in more. Our lives are not our own anymore. We have a return to give to the king and nothing less will be accepted. So set your anchor again. Take deep thought about your life. What has God spoken to me and am I holding firm to it? Is my anchor set in the center of what God spoke? And if so, get into the fight. Don't let your family fall to the wayside. Don't let your own holiness fall to the wayside. Don't let the call of God on your life fall to the wayside. Passivity will never do anything. We can sit our entire lives inside of church learning more and more details but be ineffective in our faith if we don't do this. But when we do this, we can accomplish all through Christ. Let's turn to Hebrews 11. We're going to pick up in about the 32nd verse. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms and administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, gained what was promised. The mouths of lions quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, 
who became powerful and valid and routed foreign armies. But pause here for just a minute. This is what many would call the Faith Hall of Fame. The men who have gone before us. Think about each one of their lives. The ones who were just mentioned. Did they not become lions amongst men when they shut the mouths of lions? Was the fire of God not burning in them if the flames were quenched? Were they not anchored on what God has promised if they laid down their lives in the pursuit of it? And it says that they had not even gained it in their death. In Jesus Christ, they received that. We say, we were, who became powerful in battle, routed foreign armies, who through faith conquered kingdoms, they gained what was promised. Later on in the 39th verse, it says, these were all commended for their faith, and yet none of them received what was promised. How are both of those things true? They did the will of God in their generation. They were so anchored to that promise and fought through it their entire life that they accomplished His will. But when Hebrews in the same chapter says they did not receive it, something about Jesus Christ's life was meant to be imparted to us that these men fought their entire lives for. They saw the resurrection of the dead. They saw miraculous things happen. They saw the kingdom breaking out like we see in Matthew 10. And yet there was something that was not given to them. And who has it been given to? Us. We stand in a church filled with spirit-filled believers. <laughs> These men that we're reading about, I believe that they had the spirit. And there is something different since Pentecost. We are a room filled with spirit-filled men. Hear me, if they did this, what cannot be accomplished in our lives? If they did this, we read about William Carey, men who were not baptized in the Holy Ghost, and yet they brought the gospel all over India. What can a room full of spirit-filled and powerful believers do? What can a room full of people whose lives are so anchored to Christ that they cannot be moved, who are willing to fight for it at any cost, if they saw the miraculous, how much more so in our own lives? These men were an example for us. I intend on living it out. Do you intend on living it out with me? Yes. Say, I want to see it. I want to see it. We've gained what they fought for, the dwelling of God to be with men, for the Spirit to be poured out. Let's go from here to Revelation 6-9. We'll see the very end goal. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer. These souls were found under the altar. Let me ask you, if your life was burned up at this moment, if this was it, this was the extent of your walk with Christ, where would you be found? If today was your last day, 
and we have heard the messages that we have already talked about. And Christ was reviewing your last day. Would he find those messages showing up in your deeds? Would you find you applying them? See, these saints were so anchored to the presence of God that in their death they were found at the altar. They were so attached to it that even in their death they could not be separated from it. And you know what? They were clothed and white for their fight for the kingdom. Right now, when you reflect on your day, would you be found under the altar? Or would you have been found feeding self, indulging in things other than Christ called you to? Would your mind have been on His presence, crying out? Each and every day, we have an obligation to be so bound tightly to Him that we cannot be moved, we cannot be separated. There is no day where you're allowed to walk outside of the presence of God. The fact that we say it that way should not be. There is no day that you do not have the opportunity to and we should want to. But the truth is, when we neglect that, we stop fighting for our faith because we're not anchored anymore. Anchor yourselves to the presence of God so tightly that if today was your last day, you would have been found doing what Matthew 10 said. Your life would have looked like Hebrews 11. If we do that every day and you don't accept a single day where you're not a witness, when you're not displaying the character of tr Christ, we will finish this race like them clothed in white. Amen. Who wants to be clothed in white in this room? Amen. I want to be clothed in white and I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get there. The power of God will enter a man and help him do it. But we have got to anchor and get into this fight. Say, I'm going to anchor now. I'm going to stop drifting. I won't go anywhere else. I will fight. We read about Acts 2. We read about the life of the apostles. If this week was your last week, would you have been found a disciple? Or would you have been found someone who was on the outer courts thinking about it? If this week were your last week, would you have been found to have been obedient to the call of God to come close when He said move, when He said stop being far away, or not? I'm not threatening you, telling you you might die in a car wreck on the way home. I'm telling you, Jesus Christ is worth you fighting for. He's worth you anchoring on what He promised, what He's told you to do already. It's time to stop crying out and rush into that fight. We've got to become eager for it. We've got to get in the mood where we want to win, where we're not looking at fighting only when we have to, but because we want to please our king, because we're ready to do anything it takes and our lives will be found right beneath that altar. We know what Revelation 12, 11 says. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Something about that blood was so anchored in their life that they could not be separated from it. And the word of their testimony acted like a fighting sword everywhere that they went and penetrated men's hearts. They finished their lives that way. In Revelation 14, the 13th verse, we hear about men whose deeds echoed into eternity. How do you finish your life with your deeds being precious to Christ? The only way that that can be done is if what He has spoken to you now is so anchored that you cannot be moved in it. Too many men finish and compromise when they should be finishing strong. These men have set a fine example, but we have seen different in our lifetimes. Today, we're going to do it differently. Say, if the gospel is about more than me. It's about more than me. 
Think of your children. Think of the men that you should be a witness to. Now say it with me. It starts with me. See, we may be frustrated about circumstances around us. We don't like what we're seeing in our home. We don't like what we're seeing around us. We don't feel like the gospel is breaking out. But it starts somewhere. It starts with us as men anchoring our lives to Christ and fighting for it. Who's a husband in this room? Who wants to be a husband in this room at some point? Your whole life long, you will have to remember that it starts with me. And anytime you see something else... You need to go back to your heart and anchor it to Christ. And then you fight for what is righteous. But if you are not truly anchored to Christ and you're double-minded and you're floating around, your fight will always be ineffective. But when we are fighting for Christ and we know we're standing on His bedrock, we find victory every single time. Go with me to the book of James. James, the fourth chapter. Oh, very fast. I'm getting there. (laughs) Anchor your soul and fight. What causes fights and quarrels amongst you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight you do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Do you view yourself as a man who has something from Christ and you're anchored to it and fighting for it? Or do you constantly feel like you're grasping for something that isn't there? See, when we are more motivated by how men perceive us than what we should be asking the Father for, we find our cup running dry every time. But when we pour ourselves out to Christ in complete, unbarred, every way, every aspect of our life, we find that He gives us what we ask for. He fills our soul. When we hear about wasted libations, it's easy to hear that word and then the next week, waste your libations. Waste what God has put inside of you that is precious. Say it with me. God has given me something precious. It is precious. So where are we pouring it into? Are we asking God for things that are not to be poured back into His cup and His glory? It's time to anchor ourselves to the fact that our lives are not about us anymore. It's time to fight for the glory of our King. I want to bring glory to the king. Do you want to bring glory to the king tonight? Yes. So where can you pour out today? Where can you pour out tomorrow? Where can you pick up your anchor from your own selfishness and place it back into the cup of Christ? Where can you fight to bring him glory? It's time to take your stand and fight for it. We have to anchor to the right things. We find ourselves anchored to all kinds of things that we have a wicked attachment to. But there's only one bedrock of Christ. It's time to ask God for the opportunity to pour into his cup. As we think about James, James and 1 John have some of the most frank statements in all of the word, and I love it. Uh, it just it cuts through the fig leaves that we want to raise. We just read in the book of James 
why don't you turn back to Exodus 14? I'm going to tell you, we don't need to put it on the screen, that 2 Timothy tells us we're supposed to be filled with something. We're supposed to have something. But it is not a spirit of fear. It is a spirit of power and self-control. Either we are anchored to what Christ gave us, that powerful spirit that is living, active, and moving, or we're anchored to something else, and the fruit of our life will show it. So if the kingdom is not breaking out, there is something wrong. But when it is, it's a testimony that God is with you because you're pouring back into his cup. We started in Exodus 14, and we're going to close in Exodus 14. This evening, we've had things prepared. I'm choosing not to turn to any Strong's numbers. We're not going to give you payload tonight. We're not going to take any of the slides out. I want to focus on the fact that the simple, plain language of the text must be rooted inside of our soul. I love the scholarship that we have at our church. But if information becomes a substitute for actual obedience and that holding to what he actually spoke, our fight is ineffective. What has God spoken to you now that you must recenter on? There is not a man in this room that God has not promised something to. And we know his promises are sure. Drop your anchor where it should be. Dig it in and get ready to fight. Let's see how Exodus 14 finishes. Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance of the Lord. The Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only drop your anchor. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff. <laughs> Stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so there is lights can go through the sea on dry ground. So I'm going to take a minute. I just fell. We've had issues with guitars in the middle of worship. We've had misquoted scriptures. I just fell in the middle of a sermon. But please, for the sake of Christ... What is he calling you to fight for right now? He raised up his staff. Please hear me. Do not let a distraction take away from the kingdom is actually about in this moment. I, I really mean this with all sincerity. I love the scholarship that we have, the consistent words. But if you're not doing the simple things that Christ asked you to, it is all for naught. If you're not being discipled like Christ asked you to, if you're not walking in holiness, if you don't drop your anchor on what he actually spoke, the rest of this really doesn't mean anything. So what is the plain language of the text saying to you right now? What does the raw gospel mean for you in Christ? Where do you have to take and drop anchor and fight for Christ? Because when we do, the sea splits. We've heard this again and again. And the Lord is bringing it up for a reason because He wants those seas to split in your life. He wants the kingdom to go out everywhere. We are going to take it to Islamic nations in just a little while. But where has God called you to take it in your own workplace, in your own family, in your own home? Where is God calling you to drop anchor and fight right now? It's so easy to think about your calling out in the distance in the future. 
We just heard a message about preparing the way and what you do now, you will do then. So if you were trying to build a ministry, if you were trying to find yourself as a soul under that altar every day, what would that look like? If you were found to be a disciple of Christ on any given day, what would your goal be? If you wanted Him to find you as a disciple of Christ, where do you need to drop anchor? I think some of us need to reconsider things that He's already spoken to us. It's time to drop anchor on what He said and not hold back any longer because of an excuse. This doesn't work well for the kids. It's too late. We were tired this week. Either Christ has said it or He has not. Pastor Matthew is going to pray. And we're going to go in whatever direction in the service he thinks is fit. I will not see you for a while. And this church is my family. But hear me. Take into close consideration. What has Christ spoken? Is it truly anchored in your life in a way that would never be moved even if all of your friends and family left you, even if you weren't in a church that was supporting you that could not be removed from you, it's that deep. And you're ready to fight for, and you are fighting for it. Because if we hear what God says, and we look into that mirror, but then we turn and we forget, and we don't remind ourselves every day, I'm going to walk in the way that he has called me to anchor and I will fight for it. I will not be apathetic. You will find yourself off course. But if you're willing to take your stand, repentance, repentance from dead works that lead to death, repentance from disobedience, knowing the good you should have done and not doing it, defines your life and you're always resetting your anchor right on Christ and you're unwilling to let it go anywhere else, you will succeed. Nothing will hold you back. I want my family to make it. I have stood since I was little and watched men that I count as family. I say Pastor Matt. To me, he's Uncle Matt. Fall away. Who had the same spirit and the same power, but their anchors drifted. Men who were more talented and more capable than many in the room, but... That talent became something they relied upon. That call of God became something they relied upon and they stopped truly anchoring to Him. I do not want that for any one of you. And if we lost our lives in Turkey, that would be the one thing I would want to remind you of. Is that if you anchor and hold fast to Him, 40 years makes no difference. 80 years makes no difference. The adversity makes no difference. No trial can hold you back and that you must center your life right there. So take that into sober account. Is anything else, any amount of pride, any amount of difficulty really worth it in that moment? Because this is what sets your charter for the rest of your life. And our church is going to continue to grow and spread out. But will you go with it? Step up into what Christ has given you now. Plant your anchor and contend with the waves. Fight with them. And you will succeed.